welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through a Degrassi Viewing Podcast. My name is Donnie, and I'm going to be trying out as the veteran. <laughs> uh, my name is Frank. I'm here to read for the neophyte. And today we are going to be checking out Degrassi's Season 1 auditions as part of another mini-episode. I've prepared a small piece from the musical Oklahoma. Uh, quick warning, I have never seen that musical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have either. All I've seen is um, John Barrowman sing um, that. It, no, that's it for me to get your gun. I've seen nothing. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. But yeah, we figured we were going to see, like, okay, what, what are the extras on season one? Honestly, not much. Um, we looked through the deleted scenes, which were kind of the bulk of it. Um, and I feel like talking about each and every blooper in detail is a bit redundant. But... The auditions were kind of interesting. So, um, I mean, honestly, I feel like a lot of this episode is going to be us talking about how these auditions were actually very interesting studies into the characters. Um, some of them doubled up, but I do think it was a weirdly enjoyable experience. And if you have access to or if you go onto YouTube or whatever, I would actually recommend watching them. Yeah, um, they're pretty... They're pretty telling. Like yeah. I, I've talked about one or two of them. I think I've talked about Manny and Sean on this, but now like Donnie's seen them, so we can get more into detail about them. Yeah, exactly. So the first one that we see is Daniel Clark's um, audition as Sean. Um, and Sean, this one we talked a little bit about in the past, but I really liked it because I felt like it hit upon certain notes about Sean that I kind of wish existed. Um, so the whole entire thing is like how Sean is just very much like, you know, I want people to leave me alone. Like I'm just trying to, you know, live my life. And he talks about a time in which he was leaving his house to not beat up his brother, <laughs> which I thought, but like, I thought that was very interesting because I feel like Tracker in Sean's relationship has not gone really in that territory but i feel like i have seen that in other examples of that type of trope and it was kind of interesting to see how them having a physically abusive or like unhealthy relationship might have been on the table at some point um i did read this more as just kind of like sometimes they just fist fought I mean, that's not necessarily good because Tracker yeah, no, needs not, to be his caretaker. Yeah, I'm not saying it's great, but I like I don't I feel like I don't know. I'm not trying to say it's good or whatnot, but I do, do think it was a clash between mm. them, not like not like um Craig and his father. Yeah. It was just like sometimes they would just, you know, end up fighting and just Probably cops got called. It was awful. So. I don't know. Your take is pretty rough, too. I, I'm not... Sean's had a rough life. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but he talks about how he leaves the house to avoid doing that, which is good. Um, and on his way toward wherever to try and decompress about what had happened, he finds a baby bird and he picks it up. Um, and he kind of talks about, like, feeling safe in the process of holding that baby bird. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. Yeah, um, he picked, like, he found a baby bird, and he's, like, talking about how it's so warm and so soft, and, like, 
it, he wasn't angry. Yeah. And I feel like this is just such a perfect encapsulation of Sean as a character. It really is. It really kind of sums up what they're trying to do with that character and, like, kind of what their goal, I think, ultimately is. Now, their execution of it, we've talked about in the past, like, Sean's characterization is kind of all over the place. I don't love a lot of his A-plots, quite frankly, but it does... I can see what they were trying to do. And I really do like this entity of him because he talks about how like he how safe that feels um and uses that as a way to kind of question how dangerous he really is which is you know such an important moment for a kid like that to have Mm. and it's probably a really good audition piece to kind of tell if a kid is able to do that and i actually think daniel clark did a really good job in this audition he reads it twice within the the thing um, and you, you kind of get that rough around the edges vibe with him. So I kind of see why they really wanted to go with him for the part because he, he kind of encapsulates that energy. It does remind me of what I heard about, um, I believe his name's Sean Mayer, the guy who played Simon on Firefly. Um, like the audition piece for that was like Simon talking about like River. And, like, giving a speech essentially about what his sister meant to him. And, like, they were saying, like, everybody did it, like, very big. And it was like, my sister was so important to me. And he went very quiet and, like, kind of smiled to himself about how, like, River was so much smarter than him. And, like, would really rub it in his face and whatnot. I feel that's kind of the same energy I got from this. Mm -hmm. That probably a lot of kids came in tougher and, like, a bit meaner and, like... He came in just kind of softer and gentler. Yeah, I I definitely got that vibe too with his audition piece. Like, it just feels more, like, lived in. I mean, with these parts, they're still teenagers reading these, like, kind of monologue-type deals. They're always going to have a slight theatricality to it, but... With him and the way that he delivered it, it kind of it, it did feel more natural than I could see some kids kind of going in, growling, sneering, and that type of stuff. And that's just not what he did when he delivered it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. And I liked kind of like how it gives you kind of an archetype of what Sean is and could have been to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, the next one is Lauren Collins' page, which I loved. I actually loved this monologue. I thought it was really good. <laughs> um, because it pretty much opens up with her being like, look, like, I'm not as popular as Ashley, and, like, I know it, um, but I do want to make the investment in being friends with her because I know that she has the social status that I desperately want. Um, and what I love was that she straight up says that she's more real than Ashley because Ashley's a crowd pleaser. <laughs> just the idea of just like her being like, like just that whole idea of realness. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I do not miss the early aughts. It's just, like, very... Yeah, there's that, and I feel like it really sets the stage for, like, how they were like, no, we want this character to be conniving. <laughs> like, no, this isn't just, like, some, like, mean, haughty teenager, like, you know, cheerleader type. Like, no, this is a schemer, and you have to, like, nail the fact that you're scheming. And, of course, Lauren Collins does, because she has done that literally from the jump in this series. Like, she's always been able to kind of, like, be very captivating in the sense that she is just, like... The gears are constantly turning in her head. At least she looks like it. She says she has better hair than Ash. Oh, yeah. She does. It's it's just like, 
I just couldn't get over it. The fact that she's like, I'm more real than Ashley. <laughs> Child. <laughs> but also, like, the idea of making the investment in somebody for their social status is just, like, definitely season one page for sure. Um, and I think also it's a thought that I think a lot of people secretly have sometimes with certain people where, like, maybe you develop a sincere friendship with someone, but sometimes you see someone and you're like, oh, okay, like, I mean, networking sometimes is like this too, where it's like, you know, I like this person, but also I know that if I really try hard with this person, this could help me in the long run. And, like, you know, Paige is just admitting it, I feel like. Mm. Um, but I really like Lauren Collins' delivery, but I also think Lauren Collins is absolutely fabulous as Paige. Yeah. So, I just cracked up during it. I thought it was so funny and so her. Um, next we have Jake Goldsby as Toby. Um, this one is funny as fuck to me. Because <laughs> it's basically, it literally opens up with Toby talking about how he discovered the Randy Newman's song, Short People Have No Reason to Live. Which... <laughs> is really funny because he's like he talks about how he finds them on his dad's old vinyls which is automatically funny but also like i feel like a lot of kids in in junior high high school discover this song when they're short because i know i had this realization that like we had a social studies teacher in like 11th grade who was like hey did you know this song exists that's because you're fucking short and you suck like i had a teacher like tell me that it was really traumatic fuck you dude <laughs> it was awful like he was not a good teacher for many reasons but also that like he would like taunt any short people which i am very small <laughs> i am like five foot one ish so like and i've been that way for a very long time so like i knew it was something that he did to people but he finally did it to me and i was just like fuck what the fuck, Randy Newman? Right. What but the fuck, gym teacher? The social studies teacher. Social studies. Not even a gym teacher, social studies teacher. Um, but Toby's reaction to it is really funny because he just kind of goes, Hello, I'm a short people. <laughs> Which is hysterical. And I love the delivery of it. Um, and how, like, a lot of it then kind of is Toby reflecting on somebody took the time to write perform, record this song and how, like, there is no hope and no reason to live because of the fact that somebody put this much energy into their hatred of short people. (laughs) Which is the realest monologue I've ever read. Like, this literally could have been my head when I was that age. But, um, I also love... The actor's delivery is really funny. Like, it's like you'd think it was a stand-up performance. Yeah. Um, which is... Oh, I, I'm not, I don't want to jump ahead, but it's just like, um, yeah, no, like, it's definitely the droll humor that Toby, what, what could become Toby's trademark, mm-hmm. like, down the line. Um, does he mention, I, I, I forget, does he mention Ashley at some point during this? Um, I don't recall him doing that. Yeah. Um, Not to say that I, I, I just don't remember. Yeah. But I, I just remember this being a lot of, like, him reflecting on how the song... Someone took the time to make the song exist, and that sucks. And I'm like, yeah, that's real. But his... It's... I don't know. He also is, like, sitting on the chair and, like, getting up awkwardly, like, from the from the back of the chair and stuff. You, you know what I realized? Um, this has the same feel... His monologue has the same feel as us after we saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh my god. 
This is probably true. It's a really good thing we didn't record ourselves right <laughs> after that because, like, we... <sighs> we were so full of anger. We literally just screamed it at Gwyn for, like, in, like, a good 45 minutes. And then we are like, okay, we're done. We're good. We're good. Um, Frank's gonna get on with the rest of his day. Yeah, like, we were able to, like, let it out and then just drop it and keep moving. And that's good, because we could have ended up recording probably, like, a three-hour episode about it. Oh, God, it's so terrible. Ugh. Yeah, um, that's an Oscar-winning performance. What? Uh, Raimi... Fuck. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. There's so many better better performances that he was up against, and he won for that. I mean, this was also the year that Green Book won, so. <laughs> oh. This is a very dark timeline that we're in. I, Spider-Man and Into the Spider-Verse won Best Animated. Yeah. It beat both Pixar and Disney. That's it. So. It's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Um... But yeah, God, um, I hate Green Book too. I know. I never even saw it, but I know I hate it. Susie and I saw it, and like the one takeaway that I kind of liked about it was that Viggo Mortensen's character reminded me so much of my dad. Well, okay. <laughs> you know, but I'm just I'm so sick of these movies where it's just like we're friends because you're useful to me, and like no, fuck you. I mean, I agree. I 100 percent agree. Um, next is Shane Kipple as Spinner. Um, um, he has, like, something in his hair, this whole fucking audition. That's all I could think about. Um, but I actually loved this monologue. I thought this was really, really good, because I feel like it was what I want Spinner to be as a character. Like, I feel like it's it's kind of, like, what I've always headcanoned, basically, but this kind of affirmed that maybe, just maybe, I was on the right, the same page as the writer's. Because the whole entire thing is um, Spinner reflecting on about how he acted out. And he's like, you know, usual nonsense, right? Spinner's acting out, he gets yelled at. And the reason why he was acting out was because he got a D. And obviously his parents are pissed off about all of this. Um, And his parents' response is to suggest that maybe he needs to, maybe they need to up his Ritalin prescription. Which is such an interesting thing and a really unfortunate thing because this reads to me that this thread of Spinner being medicated was set up for a while, but we've only seen it mentioned literally in Basketball Diaries and that's it. Yeah. Maybe mentioned once or twice otherwise. And he does point out, like, this is going to get me addicted to other things, like, down the line. Yeah, there's this interesting discussion within it about medication and him having a rough relationship with being medicated. And I think that really is what they should have probably focused on with Basketball Diaries. I think Basketball Diaries is a fucking mess relating to race. We talked about it a whole lot when we got to that episode. But I do wonder, like, it just seems like a shame because it seems like they were interacting with this idea of like spinner being having a really rough relationship with being somebody who's medicated being worried about it being a gateway to other things um and i think that would have given his character a lot more complexity than um some of the other attempts they had made during the early parts of the series and like nowadays 
it seems like we're very far away from Spinner's academic woes for the most part. Like, you know, we do see him in class, we do see him screw up sometimes, but it feels like the first season put so much emphasis in his, like, fears and neuroses relating to being a quote-unquote bad student. Um, it would have been nice to kind of see that carry over because usually, especially in a school where you have the same teachers, that reputation is going to carry through. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only thing I think we've seen of season four is that he ends up repeating English again. Or pre- yeah, just English, right? In season four? Yeah. Does he? Yeah, because Miss Kwan is super pissed at him at the beginning of season four. And he's in Emma's class. Oh, right, right, right. God. Shit. Sorry. It's been a it's been a couple weeks, folks. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it just doesn't really go into the turmoil, I feel like, of of what it's like to be this kid. And I feel like they were skirting around it in season one, and it seems like based on this monologue they had a pretty good handle on it, and just for whatever reason they just did not focus on it. And it's a shame. Um, because he also goes into this piece where he was like, well, at least I studied. Like, I studied. I took the time to do that. I'm just stupid. And whenever a character has a breakdown like this, it always breaks my heart to hear. But it also is kind of a very real relationship that I think a lot of these kids have with school where it's like they learn things differently. They have certain, they need certain accommodations. Even if they get them, they may not necessarily get the concept as quickly as everyone else. And then, you know, they kind of go, well, what is the next logical conclusion then? Oh, I'm stupid. I'm not getting it. Um, it was just a very moving monologue and I actually thought he did very well. I feel like season one spinner, his acting is like kind of rough, but I actually thought his audition was very strong. Yeah. Um, I really felt it, which, which says a lot, honestly. Yeah. Next, we have Miriam McDonald as Emma. Oh, my God. <laughs> this one is a trip. This one, I feel like, is actually what they were trying to have the thesis of Emma's character be. Yeah, but they kept chickening out. Yes, yes. And, well, I don't even know so much. It's almost like they just kind of forgot that she's a character who has contradict. Like, she's not... We'll just talk about what it is. So, Emma is talking about how she's mad about Terry having oh. a fur coat. Um, did you just get trampled by... I was playing with my foot. Naturally. Um, so with this one, Emma says that she's mad about Terry having a fur coat. Um, she calls it specifically ugly slaughter wear. Um, and afterwards, after saying that, like, Terry cries over hearing that. And Manny kind of leans in toward Emma and says, hey, like you do realize that you were making fun of a fur coat that's her like dead moms right you asshole um and in this one emma then goes into how she like feels bad but doesn't want to be part of the problem which is the fur industry and i wish that it always i feel like emma's plots always need to go back to that and they rarely do I mean, well, that was. We haven't gotten to the episode yet, but like, that's I feel like the main problem of the next episode we we do of season four is Emma lacks conviction. Yes. And like, I don't stand by a lot of the things she does, but like, it would be better if she just stuck to her guns and just was a completely unlikable character for doing so. 
Well, I don't even need her to be completely unlikable, but I think that... The, the way I feel like she is, it's just so unlikable when she's just like, this is where I stand, and my... I'm speaking, thinking about, like, the, um... The, uh... The, the foods thing, and mm-hmm. the, um... The need to punish Sean. Yeah. Like, have her go so full force that, like, she just, you're just like, I, I, I'm not sure if I can stay and buy her on this. And, because I think that would be a good undercutting of the trope of, like, the cause person. Yeah. Like, the calls person, like, oh, you're on their side because what they believe in is good, but, like, they're not good if they become an extremist. Yeah, I I like that there is this heart of sorts to, to this Emma, where, like, she's trying to figure out where the line is. And I think this is a real question that literally every activist goes through, right? Like, when does your... How do you balance the fact that, like, you have this cause, you're passionate about it, you know what needs to be done, um, but also try to figure out how exactly you are going to not destroy every single relationship that you have in the process. And in the case of this, Terry wanting to remember her mother by wearing a fur coat is, like, a pretty valid thing to do, and... Even, like, people who are very animal rights-oriented would even argue, like, look, if you have something that was from before times, like, you know, you you have a leather jacket that you, like, had forever, like, you know, fine, like, you know, you can keep it. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of it solely because of that. Um, it, it, it's like, and, and, you know, she's trying to learn the nuance and trying to learn the gray areas, and I wish... <laughs> I don't need her to be totally unlikable. I do think she needs conviction. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of her plots should then become her re- trying to find that balance between yeah. having her convictions, but also like trying to not burn every single bridge with every citizen of the Degrassi community in the process. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it eventually. Um, but I do think that's kind of where the, the, the next episode ends up. Yeah. Like... Yeah. It's just a shame that we had to deal with fucking season three, Emma, and all that bullshit. Yeah. Um, we had to do a lot of, I feel like they lost their way a little bit with her between this audition monologue and what we end up getting for a couple seasons. Yeah. And I'm going to put like a lot of the, I think it's good writing that she is still very immature. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I was about to say like, oh, it'd be cool if like they showed her like, being able to change her mind and come to more reasonable conclusions. But the thing with Emma is, well, she's also 14, 15. Like, I, a lot of adults don't do that. They just stick to their guns and won't change their minds. So I do kind of think that's a better, better way to do it, where she's just like, the way you say, like, of the questioning. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. Like, I, I I, feel like that's probably the best compromise, I feel like, between the two concepts. And but, remember, at the end of the day, she's our lead protagonist. She has to be a little likable. 
Um, Maybe, please. Well, I do think also the best example of what you're getting at is the tracker episode. Yes. Which is complaining about the computers. Yes, I think that was an excellent example. Like I said, I think that there are flashes of this. I think season three, Emma, is horrendous. Yeah. And inexcusable. Yeah. So. Oof. Um, next is Christina Schmidt as Terry. Um, and this one is interesting because this one actually goes into the idea of, of like, weight and fatness and things like that. Where it, you know, we have, sometimes have flashes of it within the series itself, but it doesn't seem to ever quite confront everything head-on unless it is she becomes a plus-size model plot. Yeah. Because um, in this one, it's about Terry going to sing karaoke, um, and she decides to kind of go out of her way and do her own individual performance, and the spotlight's on her, and she's realizing that she actually really loves it, and she's getting really into it, um, and everyone is really excited to hear her perform, but she catches her reflection, and she gets really down on herself. She refers to herself as a fat cow, and, like, basically, like, just is so embarrassed she, she leaves the stage. Um, I thought her delivery was very good in this one. Yeah. Um, and this one is also, like, I feel like it's a very real monologue. Like, I feel like there's a couple of these that are very much, like, this is a fictional character and this is what we visualize for this fictional character. And then there's a couple, like, this one that I think really hit upon, like, what it means to be, like, a teenager, basically. And, um, like, what it means to, like, have these very real... Because I feel like this is a feeling a lot of teenage girls experience. A lot of teenagers in general experience. And... I I really liked that they kind of went there in the audition piece. Yeah. But, you know, the actual execution of Terry's character is very much all over the place, and she's very underutilized, and I think that's what a lot of the fault of it is. It's just she's not used at the extent that she really can be. Degassi constantly has the problem of we're an ensemble show, but we do have a few members of the ensemble we like more than others. Exactly. Exactly. Like, she could definitely use some better A-plots. Yeah. Goodbye, Terry. Sylvie. Yeah. Fairly right. well. <laughs> right. Um, next, we have Cassie Steele as Manny. I've talked about this one before. Yes, you definitely have. Um, Cassie, Cassie Steele's... Um, I wrote Cassie in the notes, but I wrote Manny for everybody else. I wrote character names for everybody else. Anyway, Manny's is interesting. She talks about how she loves Bollywood and romance movies, and Toby doesn't really like Bollywood movies because of the dancing. Um, And she kind of talks about how there's this almost like this fantasy quality, this idea of like meeting somebody at school and dancing with them and all of that type of stuff. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that she is in an, already in a arranged marriage situation with somebody back in India. Um, and it's actually a really fucking sad monologue. Yeah. It's incredibly upsetting because it's, it's like about how like the fantasy fades away and reality sets in and she's just very resigned to the fact that this is her life. Yeah. And there's like this, this... I, like I said, it's just resignation to it. Um, it's just an incredibly sad monologue to have. 
Um, it's interesting seeing what has stuck with Manny's character, specifically this romanticism idea. Like, she's so, so deeply a romantic, and we see that give her a lot of grief in season three, specifically. I like that they've already decided in her monologue that she knows Toby. Yes. Yes, that was very interesting, too. Because I remember Toby knew JT from camp, but didn't really know anybody else in the first episode. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It makes me wonder, like, what the alliance sheet basically looked like at the beginning of the auditions and how much things shifted based on auditions and kids and things like that. Well, I mean, I've also kind of forgotten that Emma and or Toby had a crush on Emma. That's blocked out. <laughs> Just blocked the fuck out. Um, but there's, I mean, there's things about this um, that are wonky. I mean, the fact that you're not really auditioning people who are Indian for a clearly Indian part which is just that delicious little moment of aughts-ness um I'm glad they kind of kept that romantic aspect to Manny I think that is a very lovely note to her character even if it is incredibly heartbreaking at times but it's it's kind of interesting to see what aspects of her character stuck based off of the auditions um I'm I don't know how they would have handled the arranged marriage plot at this era. I'm going to go with poorly. Right. Like, at this era of the series, I just do not think they... I think it would just be a true disaster. So, maybe it's for the best that that got... That disappeared. Um, Next is actually... So, we go into different people auditioning the same parts. Um, which is very interesting. So I assume that just meant that these these kids went in for these roles and then, you know, they did well, but they decided to kind of either create new characters or had other characters in mind that they were also opening up auditions for. Because the next person is Sarah Barable Tishar, who is eventually known as R. Liberty, um, who auditions for Manny's part. Um... Hers is interesting because I feel like Cassie Steeles is very dreamy when she does the monologue. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, which which I feel like is really ultimately what they were looking for with Manny. Like, I yeah. think she has this very, like, dreamlike quality in the way that she's talking about everything. Um, I find that Sarah's delivery is a little more, I think, what you may expect a kid to do. In the sense that, like, when she talks about the first part, she talks about, like, the Bollywood films and romance movies, and she talks about it really excitably and, like, really quick. Um, and, you know, she kind of... It's not that she's zooming through it, but she um, she's, like, very much just like, you know, I really like this stuff. It's really fun, even though Toby makes fun of it. Um, and then when she reveals the arranged marriage she gets very resentful. Where I feel like Cassie was just, like, very resigned. I feel like Sarah's delivery is more very resentful of the system and the situation. Um, which was an interesting, like, it was kind of really cool seeing two different takes on the part. Yeah. It definitely also gave, um, like, beginning echoes of who Liberty would become. Exactly. Like, you can really kind of see, like... I don't think Sarah... I feel like Sarah's meant to be Liberty. Like, honestly, I don't yeah. know how else to put it. Like, it's not that she did a bad audition of Manny, but, like, I can't imagine her at Manny at this point. Like, she's oh, no. so... She's so firmly Liberty to me. Um, there's... Ah, we'll get to it next week. Um, <laughs> there's some great Liberty deleted scenes, too, in season two. I'm very excited because I love her. 
Um, and, but yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing the differences in it. We also see two other auditions that are for different character roles. So the next one is Ryan Cooley as Toby. Um, Ryan Cooley eventually becomes JT. Um, I really liked his delivery on this one. I think he did better than, um, Jake does, honestly. (laughs) But, you know, that's why he ended up getting a role. Um, he's, like, very natural in his delivery. I feel like with Jake, his delivery is very much like a stand-up performance, basically. Whereas Ryan's delivery of it is, like, a very natural kind of realization that a kid is making. Um, and it's, like, very, very... I, I really like it. Honestly, I'm, it does make me happy. We're moving away from stand-up comedian JT to just goofy teen JT, because like I feel like now that he has to be serious at some points, and like when he when he's not trying, like when he's not being JT. Like, or, like, the season one JT. Mm-hmm. There's just, like, a sweetness and a kindness that comes through him. Yeah, and you can read it in this audition, too. Yeah, like... I really like it. I still, like, my favorite JT moment is still... I mean, I think probably goes the same for you, Donnie. Of when he finds out what happened to Paige. And just storms off all, like, five feet of him. Right. To go confront this kid. And it's just, like, watching his face collapse in on itself as he realizes the weight of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then just, like, the call to action. I'm just like, fuck, that kid's broke. I, like, I didn't expect this from JT. And that's just there. So. Yeah. It's interesting to kind of see it because, like, it's, it definitely kind of comes off like something the writers had in their back pocket. Where they were like, this kid, I think, has the capacity to do this. We're gonna make him be a little shit because he can also do that. But, like, they're kind of almost like they were, like, we know that he can kind of do the emotional heavy lifting when push comes to shove with this character. Yeah. Whereas maybe the read with the other actor may be, like, you know, you, you kind of are better at being the the Toby role in this one. Where you're kind of a little drier and, like, like your sense of humor and your, like processing of what is happening to you. I, th- I think uh, Jake plays a very good straight man. I think he does too. Like, I think he's much better suited for that role than... The, like, he does a very good job in this audition, but I do... I, there's also more of the dry humor on the lead scenes. Exactly. And it's just like, he's so good at it. Yeah, like, I, I feel like they're both in the roles that they're meant to be based on their demeanors, based on their deliveries with this. Yeah. I think the casting actually is very good in this series now that I look at these auditions. Yeah. Like, I don't know who else they were up against, but they feel like the good fits for whoever they ended up as. Yeah. Um, the final one is Melissa McIntyre trying out for Terry. Um, she eventually becomes Ashley. Um, her eyebrows make me sad because they are very, very thin and very, very just, like, black lines. <laughs> They're... <sighs> The part of me was wondering, I was like, did Melissa McIntyre in season two just become, or did Ash just become Melissa McIntyre? She, she is very gothy in this. She's like wearing all black. It's very much like a middle schooler trying to do goth, but like you can't go to Hot Topic yet. Because it's like all of her clothes are black. She's wearing like a black uh, short sleeve shirt and has like a dragon on it that kind of looks like, like Angelia Jolie's Billy Bob Thornton tattoo dragon. Um, and it's just like... <sighs> It's a look. Um, 
But she does Terry's, and she does it very, very quickly. Um, and it's like, is this a feeling that, like, you know, any girl, teenage girl, has probably felt yes, but it just doesn't resonate quite like Christina's delivery of it. Yeah. Like, especially because she's going so quickly through it. Like, it's very, it's not as, like, emotional as I feel like Christina's is. Christina's was very emotional but i also feel like terry in general and christina and her delivery of the character like is a very emotions based character yeah and i wish that this was explored more i don't think that this necessarily was a hindrance to her character i think it could have been expanded out more but i feel like with i can kind of see why they did not want her for terry for various reasons but also in that her delivery it seems like christina's was just a better fit for that role yeah but I can also see, because, like, with, with, I don't know too much about the conception of Ashley as a character, but you can kind of, you can see why maybe they wanted to put her in somebody that is more like the the one that's trying to come off proper and put together and all of that. Yeah. I think, like, of all the upheaval that's apparently, I feel like recently in Ash's life at this point, like trying to keep herself centered is probably a big thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Especially after everything. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of interesting watching them. Like I said, like I, you could kind of see the potential in a lot of these kids and you can see the potential in a lot of these characters. I do wish some of these things were pushed more. I think spinners especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Sean's, there's, I think ultimately we get, we get what that is, but I think... I think Sean's character always could be pushed more. I would like to see the amount of nuance that that monologue that Emma has would have. I feel like Paige's is just... That that was what we got. <laughs> Paige's is spot on. Yeah, like, that's just that literally what we get every single episode season one. I'm kind of bummed we didn't get a Drake audition. Yeah, we don't have his. But I mean, when they were putting these DVD together, DVDs together, I'm sure they weren't like, gotta make sure we put in that... That, uh, Ashley won. Um, Aubrey. Aubrey. Why do I keep thinking his name is Ashley? I don't know. Um, another thing with the characters, um, the, uh, the videos, the audition videos are very low quality, so I also wonder if any of them are damaged, because some of them, the volume pops out a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know, like, what the state of some of those auditions were either. Like, for all we know, some of them might just not be worth salvaging at all for those DVDs. Yeah. Do you think Snake and um, Spike had to audition? Re-audition? They'd be like, you know me. <laughs> he just was like, hey, could you really use a job? I'm like, boom, you're a teacher now. They just like give a screenshot from like the original Degrassi. They're like, you know me. <laughs> like, they have like the, the mural on the wall while the Degrassi kids, he's like, oh, I'm that one. Right, right, right. <laughs> Well, it's going to be interesting, right? Because it's like, um, I mean, I wonder, I don't know. I don't know. I did not look up ahead of time, like, how they kind of established which actors would be coming back. I'm sure a lot of it just had to do with availability and who was actively acting at the time. Because, like, you know, a lot of them kind of walked away from the business for various reasons and were not necessarily going to want to come back. But I also feel like with... Emma being the kind of unifier, I'm sure there was a lot more conversation in having the actress that played Spike back. Yeah. Because I feel like that's kind of important. Yeah. 
And, like, she's such a distinct-looking person. Like, I feel like you can't recast her without it being too... Yeah. Off-putting. Yeah. I mean, she has, like, a definitive mom vibe. She does. She does. I was just saying, in general, she's just a unique-looking, like, she just has a very specific energy, and her character was so iconic-looking in the original series. (laughs) For better and for worse. Yeah. (laughs) But... But yeah, so it's worth watching. I definitely recommend it. I think it's worth checking out if you can find them on YouTube or if you have access to the Season 1 DVDs. It's definitely worth checking out. I really enjoyed watching them, and I enjoyed kind of looking at the the content that was going on with them. So, worth it. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Keep circulating the tapes. What? It's an MST3K thing before they were released... They used, people would exchange tapes around the MST3K Info Club. Oh. So the the catchphrase was keep circulating the tapes. So I guess in this case, keep circulating the DVDs. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's kind of the end of our mini episode. Yep. It's always weird when we're not recording for like three hours. Yeah, my butt doesn't hurt yet. I know, right? Wow, <laughs> wow amazing. Um, anyway, thank you again for supporting us with our mini episodes. As we've said before, we're on a bit of a hiatus because of me. Um, but as we're working through it, we definitely want to continue giving you content. Um, so we are going to be taking it week by week. Uh, we will most likely be churning out another mini episode next week, and that one is going to be about season two deleted scenes. Now, there are a lot of season two deleted scenes. We might split it up between two episodes. We're going to see because apparently season two is just like, there was like an entire like season of content that just, we don't have, we don't watch during the uh, U.S. run of the episodes. Which I'm very excited to see. Yeah. I've already watched them. They're very good. Well, some of them are very good. Some of them are disheartening. I mean, we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, but yeah, thank you again for everybody who's supporting us during this time. It really means a lot. And thank you, as always, for all of your support. Um, because you guys are great. And it really makes us enjoy doing this. And, you know, keep us grounded when times get rough. Um, if you want to keep in touch with us, there's a couple ways you can do it. Um, even though I am, might be a little slow to respond because I run all the social media stuff, uh, do not hesitate to email us at ihopod at gmail.com. Um, feel free to send any questions, comments, concerns, as well as any requests for guest appearances. Obviously, because we're doing this hiatus, we are kind of freed up a little bit in terms of the urgency of us churning out season four episodes. So if you're interested in participating in any episodes, this is your little reminder that you might have a shot to actually be in them, even if it, you know, which may not have always been able, you may not have always been able to. Um... Also, you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at I Hope Pod. We also have a Facebook group called I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. There's other ways that you can support the show, especially during this time that we are trying to figure stuff out. Um, you can leave reviews or ratings. Once we hit 20, we are going to go back to the Degrassi archives and give you bonus content in which we explore Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High episodes. You also have the opportunity to uh, donate to our coffee account, which is... All the money that we receive goes to our tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests for appearing. Um, if you want to talk to me individually, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. I don't have a uh, Twitter, but I do have another podcast called uh, Teen Girl Talk. Uh, it's, I, I do that with my sister um, where we just cover all kinds of teen media. This week we are covering Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, a very good movie, full of awkward teen stuff. Um, I highly recommend the episode, and I highly recommend that movie. 
And once again, as always, we hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. We'll see you next week. Later. Bye. Lonely. I guess that's where I'm from. If I was from Canada, then I'd best be